Hey, this is Rich from the band We Three Kings. You're listening to the Punks in Pubs podcast, and you're about to hear our latest single called Soul Right, G-O-T-I-T. It's out there on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere else you choose to get your music. Enjoy it. Enjoy the podcast. Take it easy. This is Rich from We Three Kings. Peace out. Punks in Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird. Let's apologise off the bat. 
you didn't get an episode last Sunday. Sadly, that was because uh, one of my guests pulled out last minute. Sometimes things pop up. Uh, the interview had to be pushed back. I'm not going to give this person shit because the world needs some kindness right now. Uh, we will rearrange and jump back into that interview at a future date. If you follow us on social media, that is at Punks and Pubs, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, you will have seen that I have posted some stuff about mental health and the impact of COVID. Look, we don't know how COVID is going to affect our long-term mental health because this shit has never been seen before. It's unprecedented. So if you are feeling a little off or not right, please reach out to a friend and have a chat. Trust me, it will help. If you don't have that kind of person in your life right now, there is help out there, so please seek that out. Please don't sit in silence. I post that thing on social media about mental health because my I the week before I was suffering, I felt really low, um, I was not doing well at work, and I just kind of made a big thing in my head that wasn't happening. So I felt like I wanted to share that with the people who follow us on social media, and I just wanted to make people aware that like COVID is a fucked up thing. We're going through it together, and um, it's okay to not be okay. I suppose that's a new saying that people say, but it's true. It's okay not to be okay. Uh, as humans, we're not meant to be as distant from each other. Uh, so it's hard. It's been hard for me, and I hope you are doing well. Okay, that's the public broadcast over. Let's move on to the advertisements. Uh, punks and pubs need your money, essentially. So we are selling t-shirts. I've got them. You want them. Well, I hope you want them. Otherwise, I spent a lot of money on t-shirts. Uh, go pick up your shirts on our Etsy website. That is etsy.com forward slash UK forward slash shops forward slash punks in pubs podcast. It's a lot of slashes. Or drop us an email, punksinpubs at gmail.com. And we will sort you out a t-shirt as a bonus you get yourself a free punks and pub sticker with each order we've got sizes from double xl to small and all the shirts are ethically sourced so know that you're buying clothes that support the workers so go to etsy.com forward slash uk forward slash shops forward slash punks and pubs podcast or drop us an email also obviously there's a there's a a link in this episode description Uh, and go and get yourself or a loved one a brand new t-shirt. Right, let's crack on with episode 60. Episode 60 sees me looking down my laptop camera, talking to the head of the local teacher union and the king of the classrooms. His name is Josh Buckley. Josh is one of the presenters of Punk Rock Classrooms, a podcast that sees him and his co-host Mike, also a teacher, talk about bringing in their love and experience of punk into the classroom to improve the level of learning at their schools. So what can you expect from this episode? Well, we dig a little bit into Josh's childhood and discover that punk came to him through his hippie dad of all people, uh, playing MC5's Kick Out The Jams, a quality song. Uh, You will also hear how Josh jumped in the van 
uh, with his bandmates and went and played punk shows from his small town to bigger cities, playing basement shows in front of teenagers and then going on to be in a different stage in front of teenagers. Just happened to be a classroom. Josh explains how he goes about bringing in that punk ethos into his classrooms to better and improve his pupils and I speak to Josh about my dyslexia and my experience in school and I pull it to him that comic books should be used in the classroom. Towards the end, we talk a little bit about politics, in particular COVID-19 and a return to school. I'll be back at the end of our chat for the usual ramble. Till then, enjoy episode 60 with myself and Josh. It's a good one. I'll talk to you in a bit. Josh, how are you across from my laptop in in no reality of really and then wherever you are uh, you're set right now? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I'm in my home office in the States in uh, Mesa, Gilbert, Arizona. So, you know, surviving every day just like everybody else, I think, right now. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I know about Arizona is that it's hot. That it is, is my very knowledge. hot. Uh, it was 109 yesterday, and that was a dip in temperatures. So, <laughs> mate, you're gonna have to Celsius that for me. We we don't do Fahrenheit here. Oh, uh, hot. Um, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> really, really hot. <laughs> Sounds it. Um, so, how are you dealing with like COVID? Because obviously, everyone's in a in a weird frame of it's it's okay in certain parts of the world, whereas other parts of the world is literally setting the world on fire. It seems like as an, an Englishman looking in in America, not going well. We are, I am in one of the hotspot states, one of the states that's had the largest increase in the last couple months. We had a governor who decided to open up a little too early and everybody decided to go clubbing. Uh, <laughs> as you do. Once, once we opened up and uh, our cases just kind of skyrocketed after we opened up and uh, we've got now mandatory mask orders in different counties across. We don't have a statewide one, but counties and cities have been allowed to make them. And, you know, we, we were closed down tight for a while. And then we just, we opened up way too fast. And we are one of the hot spots in the, in the States. So it's been, you know, it's, it's one of those trying to navigate reality when some people don't think it exists. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, people who are, you know, f- ripping masks off the shelf in Target and telling people like, this is all fake. And, you know, and then like being one of those people who's like, no, I'm not. I, I wore a mask before there was a, you know, before there was a mandate. I haven't eaten in a restaurant since all of this happened. But like, I know people who have and I just go, that's crazy, man. I don't know about that yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, we so in the UK, we opened up bars and restaurants about two weeks ago. Uh-huh. And if, if I'm sure people from America know this, British people love their pub. Like it is something whereabouts it kind of went pub and then education was way down the list of where things <laughs> yeah, should yeah, open yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the natural <laughs> British way. Um, so like once the pubs opened up, it was a bit, everyone's fearing is going to turn into like the walking dead. Like people are just going to go for a beer and everyone's going to just be ill instantly. And we're at that two week, two week period now where that's in theory, we should have seen a spike. 
And yeah. thankfully that hasn't happened. There's something about Europe where you guys like believe that science exists and <laughs> that maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't be close. Like we have people protesting at the Capitol without masks on and like, don't take my Liberty. And, and, you know, it's, it's some wild stuff. And, and like I said, when we open back up, we open back up without mask mandates, without social distancing mandates really in bars and stuff. And so we had some of our bars open. And like I said, like clubs were packed with people. And so we saw a spike in that 20 to 40 age. Yeah. Right. So that's where we saw a big spike at because everybody was like, oh, you mean I can go to the bar again? And like the coolest thing about if, if there's anything good that's come <laughs> out of it is we've got some breweries who will deliver to your house. And so I'm like, yes, please bring me your beer to my house. And I can, I can, have like they've all been canning everything way more than they ever would and so it's been pretty sweet to just go online order it and have it come and delivered to my doors so. i mean that was literally lockdown <laughs> happened day one breweries were delivering in the uk right? because it's just like everyone people were going to buy toilet rolls but then everyone the next thing they were buying was fucking beer and wine <laughs> just like the That's alcoholic the- country that we are well, the, you know, that, that the sales of that have just been crazy. And like, you know, we, we live around a bunch of, you know, um, microbreweries, right? And so in order to stay afloat, that's, they all went into let's can everything we can and, and deliver it. So, yeah, I mean, if, I've, I've been supporting the local scene that way, you know? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because there is kind of like a DIY, the whole, the whole craft brewery, I don't want to go on a tangent about craft brewery, but the whole <laughs> the whole craft brewery scene has such a, a punk element of... Oh, for sure. Like the, these big companies like Budweiser and um, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> like they, they've cornered the market of shit beer and then real people realise, yeah. actually, there's these people who are actually creating these really fun beers that we can buy. Right. And yeah. and then they've gone. Oh, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an audience for this. So let's crowdfund. Like let's pull money right. together and let's let's create this business and yeah. and we'll go against it. And now it's it's one of the biggest like uh, industries in the world. This craft beer, like the the, the micro brewing yeah. scene, is amazing. We've we've got a place who you know they do they do rare releases, right? And so mm. you got to order it online. And if you get it right when it drops, you, you get that that you know short run release. We also have like some cideries around, and they you know, like craft cider stuff. They do a special every, they do a release every Friday and it's like some concoction that they come up with. And there's just, you can only get 200 of them. They sell 200 of these bombers of them and like, that's it. And it's this very like limited seven inch, you know, but instead you get to, you get to drink it. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, you're like, should I drink it? Like this, this right? is limited. Once it's gone, it's gone. I'm never going to get this ever again. I have a couple of those in my fridge, in my beer fridge, where I'm like, I don't know that I want to drink this yet, right? Like- it's, it's like kids <laughs> who get those Star Wars figures. <laughs> They've just not opened it. And it's like, oh, right. you need to open it. Anyway, right, sorry, right. we were off on a tangent. No, that's, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the reason we're talking, really, is because of your podcast, uh, Punk Rock yeah. Classroom. Um, I saw it. Uh, I actually saw the Twitter page before I actually listened to the podcast. And I thought that's so interesting and fascinating about how people are bringing in their own um, personal history of punk and their own ethos and bring it into the classroom. So uh, I've obviously listened to a couple of episodes now, so I'm really thankful that you you wanted to talk to me because I've got... uh, Yeah, for sure. I'm so interested about it. But before we crack on and talking about the podcast that you do with uh, fellow teaching buddy Mike, um, I want to talk about yourself, really, and get a better understanding of how punk found you, I suppose. So where did you grow up? Did you grow up in a big town, big city? 
I grew up in a tiny cow town in uh, Michigan. So a rural town. Uh, I graduated high school with like 70 kids. Um, it was a really small school. I would get stuck behind tractors on my way into school. Um, and, but I was always one of those kids where like music was a really important piece for me. Like I was a, I was a band nerd, right? Like in early on in fourth grade, I play, I started playing trumpet and was in high school band and all that stuff. And I found punk rock in the nineties with green day and you know, that sort of, and then that fat record scene, uh, and that was my place, you know, it was like skateboarding and punk rock. And mm. and that was what I did. And, and it was that way, like, when you're in a small town, you don't fit in because you're not a jock, you're looking for that thing that, uh, that works for you, or that thing that you can, that you can be a part of. And for me, that was that was punk rock, right? It was that thing that I got to be a part of. And it didn't matter that I didn't play football. And it didn't matter that, you know, I wasn't the coolest kid or popular kid in school. And Uh, I found some friends and we started a band, right? Like my first band was like a crappy nineties alternative band, right? Like we were in junior high, uh, you know, seventh, eighth grade. And, uh, but that's how I started playing bass in a band. And then that turned into punk rock and it's been, you know, I've been a punk rock kid since. I'm disappointed that you said trumpet and then not scar. I feel like Uh, everyone needs to have a shitty scar band. I wasn't in it. I played in a band around a bunch of ska bands, but I was never in a ska band. Uh, but I desperately would, I'd still love to be in a ska band today. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I can't play the trumpet worth a darn anymore, but if I could, uh, but no ska is how I, ska is really that thing that turned me on. I mean, everybody heard green day yeah. because they were on the radio, but we had band camp, right. When I was, when I was, joining high school my right before my freshman year of high school my ninth grade year we had to get together and uh go through our marching band stuff right and we had college kids come and help us out and a college kid showed us less than jake and that was it i was like what is what (laughs) right and that was that was my gateway into that sort of like not radio scene yeah you know for me, that's that's where I found sort of that not radio, ska and punk rock scene. Don't you think it's strange that there's a way of how you looked and how you act and how you think? Pretend they're not the same as you. Don't you think it's strange that there's a way of how you looked and how you act and how you think? Pretend they're not the same as you. So did you have like a family that was that was musically orientated? Was music always in your house? No. So like my my mom had an organ. And so we had an organ in the house forever. <laughs> As you do. Right? As you do. Yeah. Right. As you do in the Midwest. And you're, you've got, you know, those Polish Catholic parents who, you know, we've got <laughs> you've got an organ. And, you know, so like that was it. But I don't know. For me, it was I I always I you can ask my mom always said like I was the ham, right? The kid had to be on the stage. Right. And I think music was my way to like, go, Hey, look what I can do. Right. Um, and so 
I had played ever since fourth grade and, and my dad was like an old hippie. Right. And so he essentially was like, you want to play music or let's see what we can do. Right. And he had friends who'd been in bands and stuff. And so, you know, when I was in a band, we played in my garage, which is like a big barn, right? We had like a big, a big barn. And my dad was like, I'll see what I could do. And one of his friends lent him a PA and like, uh, I got my first bass from his friend and like, just, he was like, let me see what I can find. And we cobbled together, you know, the equipment to, to run a band out of our garage. Oh, that's so. adorable. That sounds so yeah. fun. Um, so when you were like playing music then, I mean, how many yeah. bands did you smash through and how many bands did you go, right? This is the band. I'm taking it seriously. This is what <laughs> we're going to do. Practice twice a week. If you're not a band cat, if you're not a band practice, <laughs> fuck off. Right. I'm serious about this now. Um, it was one of those things. So like I had a, you know, being in that small town, there were, it was me and one of my best friends played drums. And so we were in that first like crappy grunge band together. And then we both found punk rock and we're like, well, this is what we want to do. And there was like, you know, in a really small town, there were like two or three other punk, right? And so one of them could play bass and we're like, okay, that's it. We're a band now. We're a punk band. And those are the guys I played with uh, all through high school and uh, into college was that same three guys. And then we added another guitar player at one point. And then that guitar player left and we added a bass player, but it was really essentially a core group of uh, guys that I grew up with that we went from this grunge band. to like, okay, that's not what we want to do. We're a punk band. Uh, and then punk band but we want we want to do a little more let's add another guitar player in and you know we were doing shows like at vfw halls and you know like little you know just the diy punk scene that we grew up in in this in the bigger city outside of where we where we grew up and you know that was the band that i did most of my music with was those three guys so what was the name of the band uh so the first band uh the crappy grunge band was the silo pipes because we grew up in the middle of the country yeah. uh and then the peabodies was the band that i was in for a long time like uh like sherman and dr peabody from yeah. that cartoon with the dog uh, and then you know we matured and we you know we added it you know added some stuff and we we were the midnight society for a little while and then when that broke up, I, you know, I did that move when you're in high school, when you're in college and you, you knock up your girlfriend in college and then you have a kid and you're like, I can't, <laughs> how can I punk rock anymore? Right. And so, um, that's, you know, I wasn't in a big band. I played, uh, I put out some, I did some acoustic shows with a buddy of mine who played cello. Right. So we, I did that soft side for a little while and, you know, when I moved out to Arizona, I met a couple guys and we, we played for a little while, never did a bunch of shows, but, um, so just a handful of like off again, on again, little music endeavors since then. So with the, so it sounds like the Peabody's are the ones that kind of lo- like yeah. lasted long. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you also, you got in the van and you went and played shows and you yeah. toured a little yeah, bit. We, you know, borrowed our parents' van and, and uh, drove around the Midwest and played shows in, in uh, you know, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. We went into Canada a couple of times and played in Canada and, you know, it, when I was in high school, it was literally every weekend we were either at a show or playing a show, you know, like that, that was that life. And, and I didn't have a curfew cause my parents trusted, trusted us. And so I'd be like, yeah, we're going to go play three hours away. The show will be done at 11. We'll be like, we'll get home tonight. Right. Or we're going to crash with some friends out there and we'll be home tomorrow morning. And, yeah. and like that was, that's what high school and like my first two years of college were, 
was just like driving around and playing shows. How how did you find the comparison of going on stage in front of an audience to going into a classroom for your first class of the year? There must yeah. be those kind of like same nerves, really. Yeah, you mean you get that sort of that same sort of like butterflies. And I think like part of being an educator is always being on stage in some fashion, right? Like you're doing the dance in front of kids for 52 minutes at a time. I teach high school. So, you know, I have to put on a show, you know, five times a day for, for a group of high school kids. And um, for me, like I always knew punk rock kind of made who I was as like a person, right? Like my belief system, my politics, my ideology, like the, you know, my sort of community ethic and stuff like that all came out of punk rock. Um, But I never really, looked at it as like education. I knew that I cared a lot about connecting with kids and having fun and, and, and doing stuff differently in the classroom. But it wasn't until Mike and I kind of connected on Twitter and he wrote a blog about uh, circle pits in the classroom. Right. And like punk shows and how that's the perfect place for that. And I was like, Holy crap, that's right. Like that's what my classroom is like, but I'd never put those two things together. And then Mike and I have just had a lot of conversations about how, it's no wonder we view education in this way because we grew up in that scene where, you know, it was all about creating something by yourself, you know, or with a group of people, that unity that you get in punk rock, that that idea that, you know, you're putting on a show. And even if you don't have the best equipment ever, you're going to lay it all out there, right. That passion aspect of it. And, and really like, I think it translates well to what educators do, even if you're not a punk rock kid, right? Even if you didn't grow up in that scene, the parallel of what we do as educators, whether you want to say it's like rock and roll teaching or whatever you want to say, but it is that same idea of we go on stage and it's all about like giving that experience in the classroom. Like we talk about oftentimes, like, are you throwing that, mic out to kids right because that was the best part of a punk show is when that singer would lean out and throw that microphone into the crowd and you got to be the one it was your show at that moment and i think that that's you know as educators we talk about how like why if you're not doing that in your classroom that's the best damn thing about punk rock you should do that in your room too and let the kids scream for a little bit you know (laughs) i want to come back to the classroom but i I want to i want to quickly touch on um you spoke about punk and 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 why it spoke to you spoke about kind of the the ethos and the politics and the sound i mean what was it first that was it because you heard a song that was so fast and you're like what the fuck or did you hear someone speak and you were like i never thought like that this is amazing let me go find out more yeah you know like i remember as a kid i would dig through my dad's records and we would listen to you know we'd listen to like old uh, Rolling Stones albums and average white band and all these sort of like seventies and sixties rock stuff. And he had a couple albums like the MC five was one of his favorite bands. Like he grew up in Detroit, Michigan. And so, you know, in Michigan and and that band being from Detroit was a big thing for him. And I remember a band like that. I was like, this is awesome, right? Like it's, it's faster, it's louder. But then I think just being blown away. And it's so funny now to think that Green Day, a band that's not that fast. Mm. When I heard them in like 1993, I was like, what is this? Right. (laughs) You were blown away by how different it was. And then you go do that deep dive and you find all those bands that that are that are it's not even necessary. I think for me now, like messages is really important. But at that time, I think it was just the energy of it. Right. Like the energy of you know, fast music, loud vocals, and 
like going all out for what it was. And I think of like that Civ album is one of the first like hardcore albums I heard because a friend of mine, there used to be this thing where you could buy like 10 CDs and they'd mail them to your house. And he ordered that, he ordered that CD because the, the cover looked cool. Yeah. Right. And like that album, I was like, what the hell is, what is hardcore? Right. And like that, that triggered this whole thing of, you know, finding music that you could be loud and you could be fast and you could, you could just be really passionate about it. There was just something that spoke to me as a kid about not, I, I don't like to sit still. I'm, I'm a, you know, a nervous energy kind of guy who I move around. I drum on stuff. I, I'm a constant doodler. And so finding a music that like could be the soundtrack to not sitting still, yeah. I think really spoke to me, you know? I mean, for, for me, and I don't know if you've heard the track, have you heard Helter Skelter by the Beatles? Yeah, yeah. So so my mum uh, was always kind of a big Beatles fan, and I never really dug the Beatles. I thought, they, they, yeah, this is okay, but it's not my thing. And yeah. then she played Helter Skelter, and that, for me, was the moment where something clicked in me. It was like, holy fuck, I've never heard something <laughs> so fast in my life. Right. And then yeah. I, I just I was obsessed with finding fast music, and, and at that point, I didn't really know what punk was, really. Right. Right. But I just kept digging for the fast music. And, and then a friend was like, well, if you like fast music, listen to this. And then that's when I heard Op Ivy. And then I yeah, was like, that's yeah. it. Like, this is my sound. I love everything about this. And then it was just kind Op of... Op Ivy's per- that perfect band, right? Like, they do yeah. that. They take that sort of that reggae two-tone era stuff and throw more punk on it. And you're like, oh, what is what is this, yeah. right? Um, and, I, you know, that same thing, like that MC5 album, it starts off where it's super political. It's like, you've got five seconds to realize, are you going to be the problem? Are you going to be the solution? And, it, and my dad had the album before they edited it. He had like the original one where it was like, kick out the jams, motherfuckers, right? Like yeah. that's, the, that's the line on it. And I, as a kid, like he played it and he was like, check this out, right? Like that thing that <laughs> every dad shows you stuff you shouldn't see or shouldn't hear. And that was the thing. I was like, what is this? And that first track is fast and, and kick out the jams is one of those songs where I was like, all right, rock and roll is that's it. And, you know, I grew up in that grunge era where it was Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and those bands. And I liked the sort of heavy rock aspect of it, but, but there was something appealing about turning the speed up a little uh, in, in punk rock that just, just hit it for me. And right now, right now, right now it's time to take out the dance, motherfuckers! so i mean everyone says enjoy your school years because of the best years of your life i mean for me that's not the case my school years sucked ass um, and we're going to touch on why that happened in a second um and I, I went to college and I went to uni and I, I've built up astronomical debt 
And and now I both. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, how do you look back in your school years? You kind of said that it was kind of like you were quite kind of chilled out and, and you were never yeah. like you, my. Yeah, go on. Yeah, my, my favorite memories for high school aren't high school. It were it was all the shows I went to. It was all the friends I made outside of that building. And, you know, the punk rock kids at my very tiny school, none of us were like the cool kids, right? Mm. Like we were the kids in the band that, you know, some of those kids would drive out to to go see us, but it was never quite as fun as, you know, driving an hour away and hanging out with a big group of punk kids in the city. Right. And being able to be like, hell yeah, this is, this is what high school is. High school is driving an hour and a half away to go play a show somewhere and just hanging out for the weekend with your friends. Like that, those are the parts of high school that I, that I found the most, those were the most fun. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, sitting in algebra class wasn't, wasn't the coolest. I had a couple of teachers I really liked, you know, um, like I said, I wasn't a, I wasn't a bad student. I mean, I, I skipped school too many times my senior year, but like I had a decent, a decent GPA and, and, you know, I got a, a crappy scholarship to go to college to cover some of it, but you know, it was high school is that thing I did in between shows, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's, that's really what, that's really what it came down to. Do you have a teacher, though, that you remember who gave you, like, real solid advice, kind of understood you as a kid, and, and did, like, do you remember that person? Do you remember what they said to you? You know, I, our, I, my band director was one of the kind of most caring dudes ever, right? And I don't know if he ever gave us advice, but we could see how hard he worked and how much he cared about what we did. And I think that's the thing that probably impacted me the most was, like, having and that was a guy like that was my band director from fourth grade to 11th grade right Mm -hmm. like that I had that teacher forever and that was that guy who was always there right was always you'd always go in his room and you would feel like oh he cares about what we're doing he challenges us he pushes us to be better um and that relationship was really important to me. And I, you know, I almost, I had really thought about being a band teacher or an art teacher. I had a really cool art teacher who let us get away with so much stuff. And, and like, I don't want to say like, that's the teacher you should love, but she really, and I, when I say get away with stuff, we essentially were like, well, what can we do for this project? She's like, I don't care. You just have to paint something and gave us like the supplies and the free reign to be creative. And those are the teachers that I think stick out the most to me were, were, you know, my art teacher, um, Miss Lavasser, and then my, my band director, um, <clears throat> were two of the, the two, Mr. Curtis were two of the, the coolest educators I had because they cared about us and they kind of let us, they let us run and be creative. Yeah. Right. And, and do those things. And for me, those were the classes that were the most fun. And I say that like, I'm a government teacher, so I totally didn't go that route. Um, I had a social studies teacher who was like a no nonsense, like, all right, guys, here's a fun story. Let's talk about it. Right. And for me, <laughs> I always really loved social studies. And so I think that's why I went that route to be a teacher, to be a government teacher and then politics and punk rock. Right. Like, um, and so I think that appealed to me but I think it was those, those teachers who let us be who we were and didn't care that, you know, we were the punk rock kids or that, you know, we were a little louder or a little different and yeah. they were totally cool with, with who we were as people. Those are the ones that stick out the most to me. So I'm going to touch on, I'm going to come to you, your teaching in a second in the podcast, yeah. but I want to very quickly touch on um, a, another podcast that you do actually. Yeah. Uh, Cause you do a comic book 
podcast. Am I, I right do, in saying? I do, I do do a po- comic book podcast. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm dyslexic, and that's why I hate his school. My school didn't like it didn't support my dyslexia. It, it, yeah. They saw it as a hindrance rather than um, something something that, they could support you exactly. With? Yeah. So I, I struggled a lot through school with reading and writing, and it wasn't until I actually left school and I went to university that I kind of found my academic kind of place really um but one of the things that helped me read and write was comic books um and i'm a true believer of the idea of bringing comic books into the classroom and and using it as a way to educate children so my question to you then is uh, like books like or graphic novels like mouse or um uh, or march uh, do, yeah. you, do you think these are the ways that teachers should use to kind of educate oh, kids about history? And for sh- if you can find a good book that has that you know has an accurate good message and 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 does that, and I think biography comics do a really good job of that. So things like Mouse, where Spiegelman's you know telling the story of his his father, or March yeah. telling the story of the civil rights movement, and um, I used one uh, Barefoot Gen, like a, a manga that's about uh, what happens after Hiroshima, and so it's like. A, a, like a, a young boy trying to find food for his mom and his newborn sibling. And he's going through, you know, the aftermath of the bomb and, and people's skin is falling off. And it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where for me, that was the way that I engaged kids, right? Like it was that extra piece to have them see it mm. and still engage with it, you know? And of course, like we'll read articles and, and, and for me, I, I love comic books, right? I've always been a comic book kid. You know, that was part of that part of one of the things that probably made me not the coolest kid when I was, you know, in school was, you know, loving comic books. And, and, but I think it's one of those mediums where it's the perfect blend of imagery that can tell a story by itself, but then you also get, you get those words. And and for kids who are struggling readers, it's, it's extra help. And then for kids who are like voracious readers, they have to pay attention to something else. Mm. Because they're not used to looking at what is the image telling you, right? Because there's a whole nother story going on when you read Mouse and, you know, the, the allegory of, you know, the, the, the Jewish people as mice and, and the, you know, the cats and there's the Nazis being cats and all of this stuff that goes in there. There's imagery that goes with it. Yeah. And so not only what are you reading, you can't just read the words. You have to read, you have to look at the pictures too. And I think that that engages those kids who are really good readers in an entirely different way. They have to use a different part of their brain to examine that piece of it too. So I think it's a great tool in the classroom. I mean, for me, it was the fact that I could finish something and understand it. And that gave me a boost of confidence. Yeah. Like, right. I've now read a book. Like I've right. never finished a book in my life. I've now, do I like books? Maybe I like books. And then you, right. then you start branching out into books that don't have pictures and you're like, <laughs> look at me being smart. But I, I, <laughs> sorry, but I, I'm I, I'm I'm so for that happening in the classroom because I even yeah. in the world now whereabouts like geeks have inherited the world like it is our world now. The, right, bringing Marvel and DC comics even into into classrooms just to teach people how to how to read the simplistic words right. because they can right. follow like you said to kind of follow the action. I just think it's a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, you know, my son is nine and that's what I started him off with. Right. Mm. Like he, he's not, he's not a super big fan of reading and we kind of use like, Hey dude, if you want some Fortnite money, like you gotta, (laughs) you gotta read this book and I'll throw some Fortnite cash at you. 
But I mean, early on, it was like, okay, man, let's find you something that, that you like what's inside of it image wise, but the reading is still, the words are challenging. There's just not as many of them and you, you, they help you guide through it. And so that's, that's, that was really, that's how I got him into reading stuff, right? He's got his own little collection of graphic novels and, and, you know, same thing. His sister is now, uh, uh, she's, they're going to be in uh sophomore in, in college. And I got them engaged in, in comics as well. Right. That graphic novel, because if I'm going to go to the comic shop, I might as well pick them up something too, you know, just very quickly. Cause you said Fortnite. there's nothing yeah. that makes me feel older than buying a game and then realizing I have to now also buy, buy more, more stuff. When yeah. did that happen? <laughs> When, when, know, when like, why can't I just buy a game and just, that's it. I'm done. I've bought and, the game. And the problem is that Fortnite is free, but you then have to pay for all this extra stuff. And I swear I've paid for a game four times over, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's how they get you, mate. It's how they get you. It is. That um, is how they do it. So, so how did the podcast come about then with Mike? Because you said that you spoke yeah. over Twitter. I mean, yeah. that, that, that again is like a, a whole new world of how we engage with each other. For sure. Um, yeah, so, so, so yeah. Tell the story. There's this, there's this world of like education Twitter where there's like Twitter chats about teaching. Right. And I had, you know, I was, uh, kind of in a education funk where I just wasn't like, I love the classroom, but sort of outside of the classroom, I was just kind of in a malaise. Right. And so I said, okay, well, let's try to engage somewhere outside of my building and, and see what's going on. So I, I, you know, started engaging in some of those education Twitter chats and Mike and I were in the same chat and he had shared that blog and I was like, holy crap. And then he and I started talking and, and started talking about like, dude, this is why don't let's talk about this. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I had done a comic book podcast. So I had a little bit of background and, you know, recording it and doing all that stuff and, you know, how you structure it and everything. And, I said, do you want to do a podcast? He's like, let's do it. And so like it was born and, and now, you know, we've got the website where we post some blogs about, you know, education and, you know, we share like what we're listening to punk rock or, you know, hardcore wise uh, every week. And, you know, and then we record the podcast where we either interview, you know, people who might have that punk rock mindset or, uh, we talk about the parallel between, you know, circle pits in my classroom or, uh, sharing the microphone and a staff meeting, you know, and, yeah. and, and just what that looks like for us. And that's where it started was just like two punk kids. I mean, we both grew up in the Midwest. I live out in Arizona now, but he grew up in Chicago. I grew up in, in, or in the Chicago area and I grew up, you know, in the, in the Michigan Great Lakes region. So we both have that sort of like Midwest punk roots and, you know, we're about the same age. And so, it was sort of all that connection where we're like, okay, let's, we both love punk rock and we both love teaching. So let's, let's talk about it. Now, why do we, why are those two things so important to us? So how long have you been teaching before you, you met Mike? So this is uh, Mike. I've only been doing the podcast. It'll be about a year in September or, or August. And so I've been, this is my 15th year in the classroom and Mike and I met la- So Mike and I have really been chatting about education for a little over a year now. So we had, we'd met online and talked for a little while before we started the podcast, just kind of fleshing out ideas and talking about, okay, do we really connect? What do you really think about this? And, and we just ran from there. So this is my 15th year in the classroom. And, and I think for Mike, he's probably got a couple years on me, but he's, he's an elementary principal. So he's been a principal for the last six years, uh, you know, at a, at an elementary school. And so, you know, we come from, you know, different sides of the, the school room, but you know, that punk rock unites us. So. 
I mean, <laughs> you, you've spoken about the Circle Pit a couple of times, yeah. and, and that was one of the episodes I actually did listen to. And it kind of reminded me, actually, like how I wished my teacher was, because the whole idea of the way... I'm going to let you explain it in a second, but the, yeah. <laughs> the way that you spoke about us of someone falling down you pick them right back up again and right. and then you keep running as a, as a crowd like we we all do this together and yeah. i wish that yeah. when i was at school with my dyslexia that was the case instead of being left behind and then that that whole like weight of feeling well i'm stupid like it just kind of overcomes you uh, do, right. do you want to talk a little bit more about that kind of the, the, what you were talking about the circle pit yeah for us we talk about this idea of like you know you that punk rock scene was so important to us as kids, right? Like that collection of, of people who found something together. And, you know, you had your friends who put flyers out, you had your friends who ran the shows, you had your friends who were in the bands and, and you all did this thing together. And we see the classroom as the same thing, right? Like you should build that scene in your classroom where all these kids are connected and you're going to do something together. And that means when you're in the midst of learning or you're in the middle of that circle pit, when there's a kid who's struggling, like, my job in the circle pit isn't just like, oh, sucks to be you and just <laughs> run by, right? Like there's this amazing thing that happens at a punk rock show. When, when a kid falls, you really do pick them back up and you show them the ropes and be like, dude, this is how we do it. Or, you know, when the hardcore dancing, you know, breaks out, you let them know like, no, dude, you got to hold your hand out. Otherwise you're going to get clocked. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you, I feel like as an educator, my role is to sort of like monitor that circle pit of action and get kids in the room to help me pick up their friends and to understand that like we can do better things together, Hmm. right? You might be a smart kid on your own, but you're going to get even, you like, you'll get better at something when you help someone else with it. Not only that, like it's, it's, it's basic human decency, right? Like, you know, like, yeah, I want my kids to learn. Yes, there's an academic side to what I do in my classroom about kids learning about American government. But the other side of it is like, it's about them learning to be good human beings. Yeah. And so when you see somebody struggling, you help them out. And like, that's, that's, I tell my kids every year, like my job as a teacher is not to just talk at you. My job is to help you learn. And if I'm not going to get down with you and and show you what you're missing or help you find a strategy or give you a tool to, to help you be successful, then I'm not doing my job, right? Like, yeah, I can tell you about the electoral college and about the three branches of government and how, you know, we said, screw you to England. And, and you know, like, I can, I can do all that, but who's laughing the, now? That's what I'm saying. Who's right? laughing exactly, now? Exactly. <laughs> uh, but the, but the, the key thing ends up being like, I want my, I want my students to be able to leave that classroom, being able to understand their place and making the world better. And they're not, I do. I really think they're going to remember how many legislators there are in the United States, 435. No, but (laughs) I wanted to learn. I want them to leave knowing that they have power to help each other and to help like make a better place. And if we don't treat each other like decent human beings in the classroom, that's just not going to happen. There's a wall coming down between my breasts and mine. I don't want no wall going down, going down tonight. Stop this wall. Stop this wall. Civilization, ha, I go in as I see it. I call this pussy, you know, I still cannot believe it. Our evolution, 
what other, so what other punk ideology have you brought in? Like the whole punk is known for its DIY ethos. Yeah, is yeah. that something that you've brought into the classroom yeah, as well? For like, us, we yeah, for us, we talk about a couple things. We talk about the idea of uh, like passion unity and diy right mm-hmm. like those are like the three legs of the stool for us like you saw a band you see a band like the ramones and they essentially it's just 50s doo-wop turned up with distortion right like it's it's not but they went out every show and were all out right mm-hmm. like the synchronized front of the stage back of the stage blistering fast not stopping between songs like yeah, maybe they weren't the most talented musicians, but hell if they didn't put everything out on the line. And we think that's what your classroom should be like. Yeah. Are you going to have rough days as a teacher? Yeah. There's no doubt about that. We're human beings. Are your kids going to have rough days? Yeah. Are there some days when you're gonna be like, okay, guys, we gotta, we gotta do this crappy part. Yeah. But you should also always, we feel like if you're not going to turn up the volume and be passionate about what you do, your kids are going to know they can spot a fake. They can spot a phony. So be real with them and bring your passion into the classroom. And the other part of that is like that unity piece of it, right? Let that, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, um, operation Ivy and you, you talk about like uh, a unity song, Mm. right? There's nothing wrong with another unity song. Right. And that idea of like, we are all in this together. Our classroom should be a place where every kid feels like they're accepted, that no one's sort of left out because of what they look like or who they love or, you know, how they worship or or don't worship or whatever that is. Like all those kids should be, should be able to feel like they belong in that room. Like I felt at that punk show. Yeah. Right. Like the Scott kids and the hardcore kids and the punk kids and the kids whose parents had money and the kids whose parents didn't have money. And you see all these people in this room and that thing brought us together and our classroom should bring kids together. And that last piece, like you said, is DIY. And the reason why I remember, you know, sitting in my living room with my bandmates folding card inserts for cassette tapes because we had recorded uh, you know, a crappy album in my barn with a four track recorder. We had a buddy who duplicated it all for us and made a billion, you know, like 150 or 200 cassettes for us. And we Xeroxed all the sleeves off and we spent the night folding all the sleeves and inserting all of them. I still have that tape because those tapes mean so much to me because we made it mm. right. It was ours and kids should feel the same thing in that classroom. It should be their classroom. They should own what's going on. And that means as a teacher, you've got to give them a little bit of the DIY room, right? Let them control what happens. Let them decide what they're going to do. Let them add into the direction of, of what we're going to do, right? Like I'm, I don't want to be a dictator in my classroom. I want to be someone who goes like, all right, guys, what do we want to talk about? Let's, let's, okay. So here's, we got to talk about government this year. What are some of the big things you want to know? Okay, awesome. Let's figure them out together. How do you guys want to, what do you, how do you guys want to show me you learned this? Hmm. Right? Like, do you want to, do you want to make a presentation? Do you want to write something? Do you want to, do you want to do a skit, uh, you know, interpretive dance about, you know, whatever it is, give them some ownership of it and they, and, and they own it. And when people own it, they care about it more. Right. And it's the same thing for like, you think about any workplace, when your boss says, hey, this is yours, I want you to, how do you want to figure this out? I want you, let's, let's work on this. You and your team, go put this together. You own it. 
instead of your boss saying, this is how you're going to do it. And this is what I want it to look like. And this is how, you know, this is this and this, you just get it done so you can get it done. Hmm. It's not your product. Right. Um, but that punk tape making those tapes when I was a, you know, a high school kid in a punk band and then DIY patches and, you know, like screen printing patches out and cutting them up. And, and like, that was the stuff that those are the things that mattered most, right? Like running around town and putting those flyers up and all the record stores and, you know, handing them out to friends at other shows. And, and like, that was ours. And when you own it, you care a whole lot more about it than if you didn't. So we want kids to care about it. So let them, let them own it. <laughs> so what's the feedback been like then from your, from your teaching peers who may not be punks, like, but, <laughs> but kind of like, okay, there's something interesting in, in what you're doing here. Yeah. I mean, like we, we hear from a lot of folks on Twitter and, and, you know, online about the idea of like, you know what, I'm, I'm not a punk rock kid. I didn't grow up in that scene, but you're right. There is something, I mean, call it whatever you want. Like essentially like best practices are that you let your kids make some decisions in the classroom. We just correlate that to what we learned in punk rock. Why we believe in it is because of punk rock. Maybe you believe in it because you really like gardening. And so you getting out there and and having your own garden is your version of DIY. Well, cool. Why don't you let your kids feel that same way in their classroom? Like, oh, you know, like it's making that connection for folks and and letting them see like you you don't have to, you know, listen to punk rock to to know that, you know, having kids feel like they belong in your classroom is important. Yeah. So I think the message transcends punk rock. For us, like punk rock is the thing that makes us believe that. And maybe people believe it for a different reason or feel it for a different reason. But for us, it's punk that makes us feel that. Have you had any, like, I don't know your school, but you got any, like, yeah. lifers teachers who, like, go, this is not the way to do it. They need to be sat there. They need to be spoken oh, for, to. For sure. I mean, there there's old guard of teachers who, you know, they're not, they have always been a lecture teacher, right? They're a uh, kids sit and get. Yeah. Right. Because they, they see themselves as the font of knowledge and they, you know, they're just there to spew it out for people. And I say like, yeah, there is sometimes like, sometimes I have to like tell my kids the story, right. And give them the lecture, but I'm not going to do it all hour. And I'm not going to do it without them having some fun with it afterwards. Right. Or having them create something with what we just talked about. But you, you think, I mean, like, schools ended up being factories for a long time, right? You bring kids in, you sit them down, you fill them up with information, you make them spit it out, and then they're on their way. And maybe that works for some kids who like they learn really well that way and they can retain that information and they would have been successful no matter how you did school. But we want to educate every kid and we want every kid to be successful. So let's give them something engaging while they're there. And, you know, you butt, you butt up against teachers who are like, well, I don't know if I, you know, I just don't think that that's the way to do it. Well, I would say like, well, try it. What's the, what's the harm? Yeah. See how your kids respond to it. And if your kids think it's rad and they do a whole lot better, well, then maybe you should try to do that a little more often. You know, you don't have to do it every day. Look, there are days when I come into my classroom whenever I get back into it again in real life, right? Like where it's going to be, it's going to be one of those things where, I will have a day where I go like, okay, guys, we got to get this done today. Here's what you guys are going to do. Let's do it. Right. And I won't be on 
11, right? I won't spinal tap it to 11, but um, I'm always going to try to come back the next day and be like, all right, guys, I know yesterday was kind of a bummer. Let's, let's do this. Right. You got to be honest with kids, man. They know when you're feeling it and when you're not feeling it. And if you just let them know, like, all right, guys, today's going to kind of suck, but bear with me, we're going to crush it tomorrow. Right. Or I've had those lessons that have completely bombed. Right. I taught AP macroeconomics one year and I'm not a math teacher. I didn't go to school to be a math teacher, but there's a little bit of math in, in macroeconomics. And I thought I taught it well. And then in the middle of it, I'm like, nope, that's, (laughs) this is wrong. This is, and I turn around and I go, guys, that's wrong. Everybody tear that page out of your notebook, right? Just tear it out, crumple it into a ball. And I went and got my trash can and I said, all right, everybody take the shot. Just throw it, throw it away. Let's forget this happened. Uh, let's put that aside tomorrow. I'm going to figure out how to do this for you guys. Right. <laughs> and, and like that honesty is what, what builds those relationships with kids. And then kids are more apt to do that thing that they might not think is exciting. Right. Like I teach, I teach economics and government. You want to talk about like the economics is the dismal science for a reason. They don't joke. But I love it. Like we'll watch a Godzilla movie and then they have to graph the Godzilla, what Godzilla did to the economy. Right. And, you know, like just doing all those little things just to make it a little more interesting instead of like, all right, guys, today we're going to shift the aggregate demand curve by doing this. Like no one wants to do that. Like I don't want to do that. I want to have fun in my own classroom, man. Like it's no fun for me to sit up there and be boring. (laughs) Do you, do you answer like growing up with a whole like anti-authority mindset? (laughs) If you've got a kid who's at the back and goes, no, fuck you. I'm not doing this. A part of you like, yeah, you're right. Oh no, for sure. (laughs) I, and that's why I think like those are the kids I, I connect with a little more or the, are the fuck authority kids. Right. Like, like (laughs) I, I, cause I always tell my kids, guys, it's weird to go from fighting the man to being the man. Right. But we can fight the man in this classroom a little bit. You just got to know that sometimes I'm going to ask you to do stuff that you might not love to do, but then we're going to get to the other stuff. Like I've talked to kids before. I talked to a student and I was like, dude, what is going on? You did not turn in this assignment. I know you're here. You haven't been missing. What do you got to show me for this unit? And he's like, oh, Mr. Buckley, like I just need to graduate. I'm like, I'm getting my welding certificate and I work you know, I work at uh, 40 minutes away. And so I'm at work every night. I'm just not, I'm just not doing the homework. And I was like, dude, I get it. I understand. You're going to make more money than me as a welder. Cool. I appreciate that. But here's what you and I have to do to get you there. Like you got to graduate this class. I'm not asking you to like, like extra credit me or get a pluses on everything. But if you just participated with us in class, your grade would, would be much better. And he's like, I know, man, but like, I should, the homework is killing me. I'm like, when's the last time I really gave you homework? And he's like, no, you're right. I'm like, okay, well then like work with me, man. Like if you do some stuff in here, your grade is going to be better. You're going to graduate. You're going to be able to be a, an electrician. He's like, oh, you're right, Mr. Buckley. You're right. And like, I could have handled that two different ways, right? I could have told that kid, you're never going to make it if you don't just buckle down and blah, 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 or giving him shit about it. But instead I had an honest conversation with an 18 year old about how, what he wants to do in the future and how the, the, how the, how he's going to get there is by putting in a little bit of effort for me. So he doesn't fail. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then he'll get there and then he never has to worry about my government class again. Cause he'll, we'll be through it. <laughs> you know? So let's talk a little bit about politics for a wrap up. Yeah. I know you've got other um, important things to go on and not just talking <laughs> to a punk podcast. Um, so, um, 
I know that you're uh, you're ahead of your local union. Yeah, so you're yeah. actively involved in politics. Yeah. So your role as a teacher, do you yeah. think that's become a hell of a lot more political over the years that you have been working? Because as an Englishman looking in, it seems that teachers have to um, like speak about gun control because you've got guns yeah. for for whatever reason um and we, then you everybody got... needs a gun that <laughs> <laughs> that's my naivety right there um, and then you've got obviously covid-19 has has yeah. come in and now everyone thinks they're uh the head of political science because <laughs> they they've got a kid who they just want to push yeah. onto teachers now i mean yeah. w- how do you feel as a teacher do you think it's become political yeah, I yeah. well I think I think education's always been political. I just think more teachers see it that way now. Mm. Cuz if you think about it, like where does my funding come from? Who decides how many kids are in my class? Who decides what curriculum I teach? Like I'm in a profession where I am lucky enough to elect my bosses. Right? And so I think once teachers realize that oh, and I think it's been really recently and it's been really recently in in the United States because we stopped funding education, right? Like I'm in a state, I, we're like 48 out of 50 in what we fund schools, right? So you can't get much worse than what we were funding schools in Arizona. And, you know, we did a walkout a couple of years ago where we were out for six days, right? Uh, marching at the Capitol. And there was a, you know, you want to know what's cool is when you get every band teacher to bring their instruments and do a, a teacher marching band at the Capitol for a protest. That's pretty rad. Uh, but like, I think what we realized is, is if we want schools to be funded better, if we want input in who runs schools, then we're going to have to do the legwork and we can't be siloed up into our classroom. You might have to make a phone call. You might have to attend a school board meeting. You might have to go to the Capitol and watch them pass the budget. So they feel bad when they make decisions about cutting your funding and they think twice about it because you're there. You know, we showed up with 75,000 people at the Capitol in Arizona for our first day of our walkout. And that was powerful. Mm. That was a, that's one of the largest ones that we've had at the Capitol. And um, it was big. And, you know, I was someone who I co-chaired a ballot initiative a couple of years ago to get more funding for schools um, for me, that being loud and standing up and speaking out comes from punk rock. And like, I think education is this thing where every student deserves the best education possible so they can be successful. And if, if I can influence that by being loud and obnoxious, then I'm going to be loud and obnoxious Yeah, because the kids in my classroom deserve that. My neighbor teacher deserves a wage where they don't have to have three other jobs on top of it. So they can make ends meet. And I think whether it's funding or whether it's gun violence or whether it's, you know, dealing with reopening schools right now, if we're not loud about it, I mean, we're the experts. We spend our lives in classrooms, right? Like I have literally been in school since kindergarten and not taken a year off, right? Or preschool or whatever you want to call it. So like, I get it. You were in high school one time, but I've been in high school for 19 years, if you count my teaching years and and the years that I was there. Um, And I went to college to be an expert in in the science and art of teaching. So I think I should be able to tell you how how we should do this thing and not just listen to, you know, the secretary of education who's never set foot in any realm of being an educator. (laughs) 
Oh, Betsy DeVos. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I'm interested to know because I feel like the whole Western world has not learned from its very recent history, and we seem to be very divided as as mm-hmm. as as like the UK with Brexit, what's going on in Europe with some very far right leaders. You've yeah. got that man in your White House at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see that? playing out in your classroom like do you see politics I, become a lot more and and are you seeing pupils with more extreme belief system than probably what was four or five years ago yeah as i mean i've taught government for enough now to kind of see people take a much harder line one way or another right the weirdest thing is like kids have gotten far more socially liberal right but they don't but part of it is they don't equate social liberalism with American politics. It's it's this really weird thing where they can, they'll divorce uh, gay rights from the reality of the two parties that govern the, you know, the United States. They don't see it that way. Cause them they're like, well, it was never illegal. Right. I never knew like, when couldn't you get married as a, as a gay person in the United States? Right. Like they don't see that immediate past, but we see it in, in, and parents and community members, right. As we, as we struggle about reopening schools and we have parents who say that like, there's no way anybody should wear a mask. Right. And it's become political as opposed to like, well, if this is how you take care of each other, this is how we take care of each other. Right. Mm -hmm. It's become a, it's become a political issue. And I think we see that, but I think for me, education should be one of those things that's not partisan, right? Like who wants dumb people? Right. Like who wants an, I mean, I guess there are people who want an uneducated populace, right. For maybe nefarious reasons. But if you ask any regular person off the street, like, do you think, do you think uh, kids should get a good education? Well, yeah, of course I do. Okay. Well, how do we, how do we get there? Um, But yeah, I, I, you see it get more polarized and I think kids, kids feed off of what they see in the media and how they see politics portrayed and how they see leaders talk. And, you know, Donald Trump is one of those guys who says a bunch of stuff in hyperbole and says a bunch of terrible things often. And any other politician would have been ousted who said stuff like that. So I don't, I don't know how, how the man is Teflon, but it it has definitely changed politics the last four years as a teacher Right. Like I teach government. And so, you know, you have to, you have to walk that line where you're not trying to engage kids about the president, because that's not my job is to be, you know, to tell them what to think specifically, but to kind of show them, um, what influences them and why, and, and, get them to see a, a wider perspective than maybe just, you know, the snippets they see of the, the characterization of Trump and the characterization of Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden, you know, like what's beyond that facade and what are their policies? What do they believe in? Do you believe in those same things? If you don't, then why would you support someone who doesn't believe in those things? Yeah. Right. That it's more than just surface level, how they act and i just think people people like to be angry and we're just angry right now yeah. i don't know why but well i mean it might it might be because we've got inept governments all over the world just fucking yes yeah no yeah, yeah you're right but i mean like i i think like there's there's a 
I think that there's a way to be constructively angry yeah. instead of just, instead of just angry. Yeah. Right. Like just yelling at people doesn't work. Uh, but I think you can be constructive. I think anger can drive you to do something constructive. I mean, so. it's great for social media, mate. I mean, my favorite, oh, yeah. <laughs> my favorite thing I've seen so far on social media was two women in Florida. Of course it's Florida. One wearing oh, yeah. a mask oh, yeah. and another one not wearing a mask and just both calling each other cunt. It's just, yeah. it's just yeah. like you are working out politics in the in the in the best way possible for you. Yeah, like like I said, like I said. So we had this one, this woman in Arizona who went into a Target and literally pulled all the masks off the shelf and was like, "This is bullshit. This is a forty thousand dollar Rolex," and just like, I don't know, like just batshit crazy. And you go, "What? What the heck?" Yeah. <laughs> that's how we're gonna. That's how we're gonna. If you don't think you need to wear a mask, is that the way that you that we should handle a disagreement? Is to like about a mask, not about life, not about like, not about like uh, oppression or you know you know people being shot by police, but like you have to wear like a very thin piece of cloth over your face. What the hell? <laughs> like that's and the crazy part. The, the frustration though is just the the, the hypocrisy in the belief system of you can't tell me what to do this is my right and then nine times out of ten they're the people who are telling women you can't have an abortion like that that's not your choice like it's god's choice it's like what i don't understand we've we've seen people flip that my body my choice about vaccines and masks and i go like but you just (laughs) you've used that argument you've said that argument isn't okay for years and years and now you're like no it's it's you can't make me do this yeah we we call it the dead cat um, in the UK, whereabouts uh, someone has like a, a subject matter they want to talk about, someone debunks that, and then they throw a dead cat on the table, and then everyone goes, why is there a dead cat on the table? And they're like, exactly, why is there a dead cat on the table? And you forget completely <laughs> about the ridiculous shit they've just said about. Um, so I just want to wrap up now uh, and just kind of leave the yeah. politics aside and just kind of come back to punk. For you, yeah. what's what was the best life lesson that you learned from punk i think for me my my life lesson about punk is like you can really do just about anything if you got the gumption to do it right like we we put on our own show and you know like we we were like what would be cool oh pyrotechnics would be cool can we figure out how to make flash pots hell yeah let's figure out how to make like the dumbest shit no one should do that as a high school kid or as a kid in college but we're like yeah we could probably figure that out and then the drive to go figure it out to go do it right and i think punk rock taught punk rock taught me like one to to stand up and be okay with who you are and two like if you've got the drive there's a way that you can make it happen and it might not be the prettiest thing ever, but <laughs> it's yours. And so it's awesome. You know? <laughs> 100%. I mean, Josh, like, I wish yeah. you were my teacher when I was growing up, man, because I feel like I could have learned a hell of a lot more than, uh, than Mrs. My Corner. Fav- my, my favorite part is when, when kids, uh, like early on in my career, when I had, punk, you know, those punk rock kids, uh, and still today I get kids who give me like music stuff, but I like back in the day when kids would make mix CDs and they'd be like, Buckley, you got to check this out. And they'd give me some, <laughs> you know, some random stuff. I'd be like, Oh, this actually, I, I dig that. That's cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, thank you so much for uh, talking to me. Where can people find yeah. the podcast? 
uh, before we yeah uh, you can off. find us it's uh, you can find us on you can find us on Twitter at punk classrooms you can find us on the web at punk uh, at punkrockclassrooms.com uh, all the all the episodes are there you, well not all of them but you can find most of the new ones I haven't gone back and tracked them over to the website but you can find all of our episodes on iTunes Spotify if you're a Google podcast person you can find them all there if you just search for uh, if you just search punk rock classrooms you'll find us on any of those and you can listen back to our episodes and hear us talk about what punk rock we're listening to every week and then you know how we see punk rock and education married and you can find me on twitter at josh r buckley perfect well mate thank you so much for talking to me it's been a pleasure Uh, liam uh, thanks so much for having me on man i appreciate it i'm sorry that we can't be in a pub uh doing this there's there's (laughs) always time the beauty thing is we're both very young uh well unless covid has other ideas uh hopefully Uh, you know what Someday I will be back to a, a bar with a beer. Uh, well, when, fingers when, crossed. When that happens, <laughs> please raise it to uh, to, to put all punk. Um, we'll do, we'll do, man. Josh, mate, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Liam. I appreciate Cheers. it. so much to josh for giving up his time to chat with me give josh and the podcast a follow uh, we'll put the links up in the program description you will also find a link for the punks and pubs t-shirt so make sure you go uh, pick up a t-shirt and get yourself that goodie if you're a little short on cash but still want to support the podcast you can do that by giving the podcast a little rate and review it really does help on itunes also give it a five stars if you want to be kind it does help the podcast grow lastly thank you so much to we free kings for sponsoring this week's podcast make sure you check out their work and show them a little love if you would like to sponsor a episode of the podcast for completely free uh, please email punksandpubs at gmail.com that's it i'm out i'll be back in a few weeks till then stay well stay safe bye-bye